You are listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast. marshes to the Italian Alps and now the streets of Milan Theo Gegenhardt is going to win the Giro d'Italia and here goes Theo Gegenhardt to the front look at the power of Gegenhardt he has a gap here and wins for the Ineos Grenadiers there is Gegenhardt who will break Carthy's heart and Theo Gegenhardt is going to ride away to victory again straight from the training camp in Spain to victory in Austria Theo Gegenhardt looking to make it two out of two and he's in a great position to do so as he comes into the final 100 metres now it's Gegenhardt and Hay going to the line Gegenhardt there in the green jersey and Theo Gegenhardt makes it two out of two This is an episode of Kilometre Zero by the Cycling Podcast My name is Lionel Burney and on the first rest day of the Giro d'Italia Daniel Frieber and I dialed up Ineos Grenadiers rider Theo Gegenhardt to get his thoughts on the opening nine days of the race On Sunday, the 2020 Giro champion put in a fine performance in the time trial, finishing two seconds behind stage winner Remco Evenepoel and one second behind his own Ineos teammate Geraint Thomas to move up to fourth place overall. Here comes Theo Gegenhardt and this could be the serious time. Time ticks on and it's by two seconds. Stefan Kung budge from the podium. Theo Gegenhardt is the new leader. Later that evening came the news that Evenepoel would be pulling out of the race having contracted Covid, meaning Thomas would inherit the pink jersey when it resumed on Tuesday and nudging Tao up a place to third. We talked to Gegenhardt about how the first week of the race had gone, the team's Covid protocols having lost Filippo Ganna to the virus earlier in the week, and what it's been like racing with relatively few opportunities to test the legs by going into the red. But we started by asking him about the distinctive Fossombroni football jersey, white with red concentric circles, that Daniel mentioned in the podcast a few days ago. It was created by Belgian fashion designer Dirk Bickenbergs, who took over the club with the intention of using it as a vehicle for his clothing company. The jersey had clearly caught Teo's eye too, because he put out an appeal on social media asking if someone wanted to swap a Fossombroni shirt for a signed Ineos jersey. The question is, had he managed to get his hands on one? Well, Teo, thanks very much for joining us on the first rest day of the Giro. The first question, the important question is, have you managed to get your hands on a Fossombrone football shirt yet? No, unfortunately not. Sounds like uh, pretty rare, I think, uh, by all accounts, so few leads but um yeah we've not we've not seen any arise so far it, to be fair the boots look even uh even nicer if i if i say so i found myself looking at some astros uh on the internet the other day on on an oxfam website of all places <laughs> never know Tay, was this prompted by well the, the, obviously there's the circle there's the link with your sort of personal symbol but did you know any of the story of Fossombrone and the fact they had this Belgian owner who's at Dickenberg's the the fashion designer and he was the he was the one that had come up with this design no I was actually I, I was actually knew that there was some Roman history there um, okay. with the the road the uh Flamiana is it I think Flamiana yeah yeah um, and I was 
reading about that um, and then I stumbled across the football team and then subsequently yeah learned uh, everything about the the history of the club and it's quite interesting because there's like I guess not really echoes of, of Wrexham or of like some of the more modern takeovers but it's still you know it's like almost 20 years ago uh, near enough 15 years ago and quite curious to see someone using sport in that manner and feels a little bit ahead of its time when you uh, look back on it and uh, yeah then I did that and then uh, had my mum on the phone saying that she'd heard all about it on the podcast so I thought you might try and uh, take some credit um, <laughs> but no I had no idea uh, really interesting interesting curious I'm pretty staggered that no one has come forward to be honest I mean it's a small town um, but I would have thought that someone would have come through. Yeah, I think if I was trying to get uh, a uh, non-league football shirt from England in the early 2000s, I'd probably also struggle there. I, yeah. I can't think. I, I think the runs were huge, to be honest. Mm, mm. Well, um, if you haven't been trawling eBay, how else have you spent your rest day so far, Taylor? Uh, we've not been up so much so far. We're only middle of the day now. We just finished lunch. Uh, we had a an easy spin. No coffee stops uh, allowed now, and uh, that makes the day a little bit longer. To be honest, that's kind of normally the highlight of the day. To be perfectly honest, so um, at least the sun's out. I think more rain predicted for the next days, but uh, we enjoyed that and. Yeah, it's, to be honest, like actually a really nice rest day because we only had an hour in the, the car after the TT yesterday, which is um, a relief and also somewhat of a novelty in, in Grand Tours these days. It's often a very long transfer before the rest day and certainly there's quite a few that spring to mind where you're getting to bed at midnight, 1am on, on what's meant to be your, your day off. So um, we had a really nice relaxed uh, evening last night and uh, yeah, it's been a, a nice morning so far as well. When you say there, no coffee stops allowed, I, I don't want to presume, is that a COVID, uh, you know, precaution? Yeah, I mean, I think now, you know, the the reality is probably starting to hit home a bit for a lot of people in the race. That it's very much, uh, you know, on the forefront of people's minds. I think for me, to be honest, I had some friends that had it in Romandy. So for me, it was already kind of the week before the Giro was already feeling hyper aware of it um, because I, I'd seen what had happened in Romandy and it had gone around the, the bunch like uh, wildfire there. Um, so, yeah, I think the Giro, someone was just saying, I don't know if it's official or what, but that masks are going to be reintroduced mm. kind of around all of the the public event uh, areas, sorry, and podium and stuff. So, yeah, um, it's one of those really. Um, we just have to mitigate the risk that we can, but I think most riders seem pretty aware that the the main kind of transmission point is probably in the peloton really when you're going full gas. Taylor, just tell us how you found out the news last night. I mean, for most of us, I guess it was social media and you sort of, you see that, you know, you see the tweet and then you, 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 you look at the spelling of the Twitter handle. He's like, no, that it does spell Remco Evenepoel. It looks like it's a real tweet. Um, and then it, you know, it hits home. How did you find out? Yeah, pretty similar. We had a few rumblings before, but obviously you never really know until you see it official. Um, so yeah, pretty 
fairly similar to everyone really and um obviously there was a few other riders as well yesterday which um is really unfortunate and yeah it's it's sad i was really enjoying um to be in the race with with remco especially to be honest you know world champion really it's cool to to race against that jersey in my opinion and i've not done uh too many races with him i think i did norway last year and and vuelta so um yeah it's a good guy and uh it's you know one of the the biggest names in the sport so it's uh, a big loss for not only the race but also his competitors because everyone wants uh, to race against uh, the big riders and the best riders and a lot of people are asking the question today obviously about the different protocols in every team just um to sort of put everyone um make everyone kind of clear about what the protocol is in your team i mean are you doing tests every week or every day or what's it been like up until now yeah i think there's a lot of misunderstanding perhaps in in the i've been getting a barrage of kind of stuff today anytime i've had a glance of people saying why are you testing don't test mm. um all the rest of it and i think i saw all the Shenua comment on it last night um and i think what she said was was spot on really that you know if people are sick then it's a kind of natural course that one of the things that we you know now do is to do a rapid test um more as a ruling out kind of mechanism as much as anything um and yeah that's also the case in our team we we did some testing before we came to the Giro just because of the prevalence of of covid um in the peloton in the previous weeks and then yeah we just largely kept to the kind of um protocols that the team established back in 2017 I think or 16 was when we first started kind of following um a lot of stuff in terms of really focusing on mitigating illness within the team and I think that doesn't change whether it's any virus or or any cold or or whatever you know we it's something I've said a few times in the last days is that you know this is nothing new in cycling brand tours have always been about more than just your legs it's about staying upright and it's also about staying healthy and your body's on the limit um your immune system is is being really stretched just with with dealing with the fatigue of the race so you know staying healthy is is a massive part of of uh, of a three-week race and and for us i think filippo was was feeling unwell so he did a test and um and he was positive unfortunately and and uh that's the reality and i think I think we'll be doing another test um, in the next days just as a kind of, um, yeah, knock on of, of, of having someone in the team having had COVID. But um, yeah, I think I think from my understanding, most teams are following a pretty similar protocol. Mm. Um, it's not like in the past where, you know, Welter even last year, we were obligated to test on uh, on each of the rest days and, uh, and various other points if we had a positive, et cetera, within the team. So... I think, as far as I'm aware, there's no rules from the UCI or, or anything now. No, um, no obligations. But I can only assume that if there's riders positive in other teams, it's because they were displaying symptoms and and unwell. To be honest, mm. and and no one any else would race positive, as far as you know, as far as your knowledge of. Your no, I, don't, I, don't, I, I I certainly wouldn't. Uh, I certainly mm. wouldn't. I think from my experience last year of of having 
um even just you know trained quite soon after um having the virus for the first time it was um yeah i i i i sir i can only speak for myself i would say i don't think that would be a good idea but yeah as far as i know that um there wasn't really any discussion that filippo would um would continue racing sick and i think to be honest that's you know if you look in the past maybe people would race uh ill before covid and with broken bones and all sorts and i, I wonder if perhaps that's one of the more positive legacies of, of the last few years is that we give a little bit more respect where it's due to to certainly viruses and um and the longer term impacts that can have on on one's body and i'm sure there's plenty of people you know that listen to your podcast that have had issues with uh long covid and the such and um yeah we, we don't wish that upon anyone and especially not an athlete who relies on their, their body being 100 percent to make a living The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. In terms of the GC, it's obviously changed a little bit overnight because Evenepoel is out of the race. But as you reach the first rest day, I'm assuming that just because he's out of the race, it doesn't really change how you feel about how the first block of the race has gone for you personally. How do you assess it nine days in? Yeah, I mean, still frustrated about the the seconds that were were shipped on on um, on the first sprint stage, kind of very unnecessarily, in in my opinion. But I think that aside, it's been uh, it's been good. It's been a weird race, really. We haven't done a a, a mountain stage of any description at um, any intensity. Grand Sasso was you know completely neutralized by the wind, essentially. And um, yeah, subsequently we're kind of ten days into the Giro without really having done like a very high fatigue typical uh, Giro stage. Um, but at the same time, perhaps that's the the kind of uh, third week looming large for for everyone and and um, neutralizing a little bit this block with with people so cognizant of, of what's to come um and also that is brand tour racing you know i think you know in the vuelta we're more accustomed to endless summit finishes day after day but part of the beauty of uh of a three-week race is also the build of anticipation and and the mystique around where people stand and people thinking it's over when it's not and that it's begun when it hasn't even started yet so mm. that all kind of mixes into one and i think um yeah, for me personally, it's been a good race. I was really happy with my performance yesterday. I think still bittersweet, definitely after the finish, seeing how close it was. But um, that aside, uh, it's been um, it's been a good block so far. Teo, I know you've been asked by some of our Italian colleagues. They ask you, as all the Italian journalists are always very keen to find out, you know, what people think of Italy. And you've talked about a sort of well, feeling very at ease here. I mean, is that the case that specifically in Italy, I mean, I know that wherever you go, wherever you race, you try to, you know, 
be aware of your surroundings. But in Italy, do you sense that you feel particularly at ease? I mean, and this is going back, we'll ask you maybe later about the Giro della Lunigiana, but um, it's, it's a relationship that stretches back quite a long way in your case. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's natural that you start to have affinity for these countries that you spend a lot of time in. And certainly I've raced a lot in, in Italy and, and obviously had some success as well, which then adds another layer to that. But I think I think one of the big things with racing in Italy is often the the hotels and, and the kind of general ambience away from the actual race itself is quite different. Um, you know, for example, probably people don't realize quite how interesting, let's say, some of the hotels can be in, in France, for example, or in in rural Spain, you, you find some really interesting places as well. Um, I'm trying to choose my words wisely here. Um, but I think I, I really like racing in, in Spain as well. It's a language that I'm more at ease with and, um, and a country that I've spent a lot of time in. And and then obviously the tour is the tour and 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 equally there's a big history of of my career personally of of racing a little bit further afield as well and and even out of europe quite often so i think i i enjoy it all really but definitely the giro is is something sure and yeah of course when you've had uh, success in a race then you you definitely have an affinity to that race because it's just a great memories and uh familiar places from from those memories as well and there's a lot of good cristata lying around from time to time which always helps <laughs> oh dear uh, just back to the race and you were talking there about you know how it hasn't really got going in sort of the sense of the intensity that we associate with a grand tour i mean there's this this phenomenon of kind of detraining over uh, a, a block like that is that a, a reality or is that something that we've kind of uh, you know a, a, a single sentence we've latched onto and, and assumed can be the case I mean is is there an eagerness to get going and have a few tough days and was that you know what was behind the, the move kind of ants in the pants move on Saturday afternoon when there was an opportunity there and you, you all went for it um, I think that I don't think there's an element of detraining we've still had some pretty big days I mean we're, there's still plenty of days four and a half five thousand calories spent on the bike um, I think within that there is the feeling that you haven't gone really flat out um, so until yeah Primoz attacked on that climb I hadn't really pushed properly uh, at all since the prologue which is quite a substantial amount of time it's almost a week so whilst you're still building, you know, some kind of fatigue from racing every day and, and also the sprint stages can be more fatiguing in, in some ways cognitively um, from high amounts of concentration and avoiding crashes and, and all the rest of it. Um, you still have that feeling that you haven't, you know, gone gone hard for an extended period of time. Um, which is uh, a strange one because it's something that we do all the time at home in training and, and in most races. So it's, you know, not normal, which is, is always then noticeable. Um, but I think that 
yeah, I think that you're just trying to stay as fresh as possible within the race um, because that is a big deciding factor in terms of the third week. Um, that's something that I thought a lot about in the weeks before this year, actually. Um, how you kind of approach the race, I think, is the big deciding factor for that. And yeah, I think the gradients just kind of meant that pretty much probably wanted to to test everyone out and uh, see if he could take some time. And we know that he's very, very good on those explosive efforts. Um, I mean, that's how he's um, cemented three consecutive Vuelta Espana is, is often from those short, sharp efforts and taking time there that eventually builds up. And, you know, essentially the finish of that stage was near enough uh, on the top of that climb. It was a tricky 3K downhill and then uh, one and a bit Ks. Um, on the flat so yeah I think as soon as we saw that climb the first time and saw how steep it was we knew that someone would try and especially with the last four five hundred meters being the hardest probably of the climb then it really opens itself up to to giving it a go and for me it was a case of just trying to stay with whoever was in the front rather than um take it on any more than that I think with the TT the next day that was kind of the the goal from my side really Lionel, should we leave the speculation about what's coming there? And I just wanted to finish with a, a more philosophical question, Taylor. There's an interesting question put to Michael Matthews in a press conference earlier this week. Um, you, you've had a great season generally, um, you know, very consistent as well. And Matthews was asking this press conference the other day, are you happy because things are going well on the bike or do things go well on the bike because you're happy? Um, and he hesitated a long time before answering this. And I must confess, I can't remember what he said, but I thought it was an interesting question. <laughs> um, which sort of side of the ledger would you be on, would you say? Um, yeah, I think I've been, you know, fighting the last couple of years with a lot of setbacks and um, and not finding my, my level professionally and not kind of feeling 100% um, in the races and, and feeling like I was where I should be and and meanwhile been you know some of the happy moments of my life in those years personally and um, and finding a lot of um, amazing people and and yeah an amazing partner and and a lot of happiness so I think that speaks for itself really that um I would always say that any athlete needs to, you know, to have uh, validation away from their sport because there's so many uncontrollables within sport and especially cycling more than any. We were just talking about it at lunch actually about, um, you know, the dangers that we face on a, on a daily basis. Um, and the only sport that we could really draw comparison to was something like the Isle of Man TT on on motorbikes where you know the 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 rate at which the the guys don't even come home is is pretty frightening. Um, so I think when you're, I've always believed that to make it as a site, you have to be really used to things not going your way, even if that's when you were 15, 16 years old that you punctured in a race or mm. yeah, of course crashes, but but also bad days and and all the rest of it. And I think that in order to then be happy within this sport you have to be able to find you know an ability to 
to remove yourself from from that and and to continue to be a normal functioning person otherwise i don't personally i don't really see how that's sustainable i think if you can't and uh, be happy irregardless of of how it's gone then uh, it's going to be hard to enjoy the sport because many times it is out of your hand um and that's uh, the nature of the the beast really This episode of Kilometre Zero by The Cycling Podcast was produced by Adam Bowie. The rest of the series is available for Friends of the Podcast subscribers, whose support helps us to keep our Grand Tour coverage and regular episodes free for all to enjoy. An annual Friends of the Podcast subscription costs £20, approximately US$25, dollars, 37 Australian dollars or €22, Euros, but you can pay more if you wish. To sign up and gain access to the full archive of more than 100 Friends of the Podcast episodes in a few easy clicks, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. <laughs>